Welcome to the High Adventure Scouting Podcast. This is the source for all things high adventure for scouts, scouters, and anyone else interested in promoting high adventure trips for our youth. You can find all kinds of great high adventure options for your scouts at highadventurescouting.com. We are constantly updating the list of cool trips, and we want your input on your best trip. Welcome, High Adventure enthusiasts. We are excited, as always, to highlight a High Adventure base on this edition of the High Adventure Scouting Podcast. Today, we are joined by Sean McEnany, Program and Base Director for the Maine High Adventure Base, located in northern Maine. It is operated by the Katahdin Area Council of the Boy Scouts of America. Sean, thanks for joining us today on the High Adventure Scouting Podcast. Hey, Rob, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun to be involved with something like this. Awesome. Well, you know, as always, we want to give the listeners a little more information about your program offerings. And, you know, we're just going to jump into things and kind of tell us the cool stuff that's going on up in Maine and the, the things that you guys are going to be doing during the summer. Yeah, yeah, of course. So so a little bit more about the Katahdin Area Council's program, uh, Maine High Adventure. We've, we've operated since 1971 uh, as a high adventure base for scouts, scouters, and explorers. Um, so basically what we do is we offer entirely custom treks, uh, to any unit that comes us to, up to us based on their desires, uh, and their ability, what they really want to do that week. So, um, a, a normal trek at Maine High Adventure typically is about eight days long and, uh, you get a group to show up on base their first day and they meet their guide. Uh, so this is a guide that we train pretty thoroughly for about a month before we actually start running our program. So that guide meets your group. Uh, that guide will stay with you guys the whole time uh, you go on your trek. And typically they're going to be interpreting biological, historical, and natural uh, features of the land. So, um, you know, we do everything from whitewater paddling, uh, wildlife observation. Uh, we also do a lot of historical field visitations, uh, you know, within 4 million acres of the North Main Woods, which is where we primarily operate out of. Uh, there's a lot to see, and there's a lot of American history that's kind of been uh, laid to rest in those areas, whether it's, you know, old logging or camping sites, uh, abandoned heavy machinery that was once used to, to draw and harvest timber from the land. Um, there's just a whole lot that's kind of stuffed uh, in that 4 million acres. And uh, we primarily like to use canoes to travel through all that. So consisting of like the Allagash Wilderness Waterway is probably one of our most popular um, I want to say areas of travel, as well as the St. Croix Waterway, uh, the Cockmagomic Lake region, and the East and West Branch Penobscot Rivers. So it's it's a pretty dynamic uh, program. You know, you, you can go, you can give us your idea of, a, of an easy trek, you know, fishing every day, low mileage, all the way up to a strenuous trek where you're getting up before the sun rises and getting onto the water and getting into camp before the sun sets to go to bed and do it again the next day. Um, so again, it's all really based on on what that group wants to do within their stay with us. So it's a it's pretty custom trek, whatever whatever they really want to do within the parameters that you have there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so like I said, when when you meet your guide on that first day, uh, they take you up to our base property, and and you meet another one of our staff members called the chief guide. So that chief guide is uh, pretty much knows that four million acres like the back of their hand, uh, and 
you know, he'll kind of give you a little crash course and what's available to see out there. And that's when you start giving us your ideas as to, well, hey, we really think we want to do some white water this day. And then we want to try and hit some good fishing spots. But we also really want to see a moose. So that should <laughs> take all those options and say, OK, well, I'm going to throw you guys on some of the best white water we have. I'm going to get you to some of the best fishing holes we know of. And, you know, this campsite right here, for sure, you'll see a moose. Um, so it's it's very custom and it, it's incredibly personal um, because it takes that experience of going out into the woods to actually design those treks. Uh, you know, our, I was the chief guide at one point uh, for a couple of years, um, but it really took me two or three years of guiding before I got to know that map well enough uh, to start planning trips. Very cool. Uh, what's the... You know, you're having a crew up there. What's what's the maximum or is the minimum maximum size of crews up in the North Country in Maine? Yeah, yeah, of course. So so our minimum group size um, is, is seven people. So that's the smallest group we can take. And you're always going to have a plus one because you always have that guide with you. Right. Our maximum group size is 11. Um, so, you know, the biggest groups that we put out there are 12 people, 11 participants, whether adult or youth, and then one guide. Um, and, you know, that, that seems to be pretty standard with a lot of scouting camps and private camps uh, up in the North Main Woods. Uh, I think most of the time you don't normally see any groups larger than 12 in, in the Allagash or St. Croix areas anyway. And that was what I was going to ask, whether that's uh, is that a mandated thing like you know, I know up in the Boundary Waters, they have, you know, you can only have so many, I think nine, and uh, uh, some other areas, they, they have uh, restrictions on how many in a group. So I wasn't sure if that was typical or just uh, mandated or just normal for the, for the Northwoods. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so the state of Maine, you know, with most trip leaders, uh, once you obtain your trip leader permit from Inland Fisheries and Wildlife, uh, really don't allow you. Uh, to supervise more than 12 people. So that that is pretty standard uh, amongst the whole state itself. Okay. I'm not sure I'd want more than 12 in a, a group that like that. <laughs> anyway, that's that's a lot to keep track of. So Absolutely. Uh, what uh, now I know some of the some of the high adventure bases uh, have options for, you know, uh, scouts that are considered provisional in a lot of places. Do you have that option or is it really uh, crew-centric uh, crew to where you kind of keep keep that particular crew together? No, of course. You know, I, this past summer was actually one of my first experiences um, with a provisional unit uh, combined of a couple leaders who had participated before in the past and had reached out to a, a local unit near them. I'm pretty positive they were from, I think it was Pennsylvania or Virginia. Um, but essentially, you know, you had a couple leaders who had participated before and they had some buddies down the road and another troop who they reached out to. And so that, that was probably the closest thing to a Provo group that I've experienced. Um, but you know, we always welcome it. We always like to encourage, uh, you know, Provo units, Lone Scouts, people who really want that experience, uh, to give them a platform to kind of share it with someone else if they can. Now, let's say that that's an option for, you know, you you have a troop that has, you know, a couple that are interested or one, uh, is that something that you would need to know as, you know, as soon as possible so you could connect them with a, a particular unit coming up there a particular time? Or is that something you do shortly before they get there? You know, I'd say, uh, 
it's this, I keep hearing this motto that people are using, be prepared. Um, <laughs> so, so of course, knowing as, as early as we can ahead of time uh, is, is always going to have a higher likelihood of that trip going smoother and that coordinating getting done a little bit better. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm a planner. I like to plan things well in advance. So that would fit within my, uh, uh, my interest level. So um, what's the, uh, you know, obviously most people want to know, all right, where are you at? What do you do? You know, what are the costs uh, involved? Is it the same for all treks or are there different cost structures? Well, so our deposit is standard across the whole board, uh, no matter how many days you'd like to stay or how many people you're bringing. It's always a $500 deposit. Um, now, once you make that deposit and we receive your reservation form and we know how many people you're bringing, we have a matrix where let's say you're bringing uh, 11 people for eight nights. Well, in the year of 2020, that's $88 per person per day. Um, so, of course, 11 is the maximum group size. But let's say you brought seven people for eight nights. Well, that's $96 per person per day for the year of 2020. So in uh, I guess the easiest way to describe it is it's a better deal to bring more people and stay as long as you can. Okay. It's kind of like, uh, I know a lot of people are used to uh, the major high adventure bases like C-Base. And I think that's kind of how they do it. You can You can bring however many, but this is the price. So... And this is how much it's going to be per person, basically. So um, now that uh, I assume that $500 is a per crew deposit. Is that, is that correct? Right, of course. So let's say you're a single troop and you have uh, 22 people who want to participate. Well, we'll break them into two crews and they'll each pay a deposit. Um, yeah, so, so correct. It, it's, it's per crew. Um, okay. <clears throat> that's absolutely right. All right. Just anticipating questions that people will have. Those are questions I would have uh, uh, within my troop. So um, how early do uh, crews need to get uh, information or, you know, get a, a deposit in for a particular time frame uh, to really get, let's say, let's say for the 2020 season, how early did you need to get stuff in to get a crew? Well, we really like to be as flexible as possible. Um, you know, I think the earliest reservation I got for 2020 was probably in July of 2019. Um, so I started sending that group's preparatory paperwork out in probably September or October of 2019, once, once my season had kind of wrapped up uh, and an opportunity to let some dust settle. Um, but, you know, realistically, a year ahead of time is really only to your benefit. Um, that's really going to help you guys prepare to fundraise it's going to give you that extra time to review all the literature. Um, and we're first come, first serve. So the earlier you get that reservation form in, the higher likelihood you have at getting that week or that nine days or that 10 days that really works for every member in the group and that you guys really desire. So I always recommend a year in advance. Um, but, you know, hey, it's we're getting close to the end of January and I'm still taking uh, reservations for 2020. So we try to be as flexible as possible, but again, that, that be prepared motto starts, uh, starts uh, shadowing <laughs> us again. I, so I always recommend a year ahead of time. How, how long is your season up there? I mean, how, how many, how many weeks of uh, treks do you uh, typically have during the summer? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, so 
for our operating season, our program season, we're going to start on June 28th this year, and our final day will be August 16th. So six weeks doesn't sound like a whole lot, but if you're a staff member with us, you're going to show up on base June 1st of that participating year. Um, we, we take about three and a half weeks to really thoroughly train these guides um, where we have inland fisheries and wildlife come in to train them. We have Baxter State Park in the past has participated to help train uh, as, as well as a lot of land and forestry management companies will come in and train. So for our staff, the summer starts June 1st and typically doesn't end until about August 20th. But for our participants, um, we start seeing them the last week of June. And typically we start waving goodbye and they start heading home about the second week in August. Okay. All right. Now, is there a set time that uh, uh, treks will start or do they start you know, uh, every day or, uh, what's the, what's the typical start time for your, your, uh, treks? We encourage people to come, you know, whatever day of the week works best for you. So I have had before in the past where let's say a Monday through Friday week, we have a new group coming Monday through Friday, every day we'll have a new group show up. Um, as well as, you know, some groups coming back. Um, you know, other weeks we may only have groups showing up on the weekend. It's, it's all pretty much based on what day of the week you guys would like to come up or our participants really want to come. So it, uh, it fluctuates, it changes really often. Um, you know, I, I can already see a couple weeks in this summer coming up uh, where I'll have people coming on every day. And then for another week, we will only see people getting off the trail. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it, it has its highs and its lows of, of oncoming and offgoing troops. Right, right. Now, where, where do the, most of the, the groups come from? I, I'm assuming you're, you're in the Northeast, so you see quite a few from the Northeast. But uh, what's the geographical makeup of a lot of the crews? I'd say a very high uh, majority of our groups are coming from uh, Spirit of Adventure Council, uh, Mayflower Council, uh, Connecticut Yankee Rivers. We see a lot of people pretty much stretch from New Jersey up to Massachusetts. That's probably our densest uh, participation rate. But, you know, uh, last year I had a group come all the way out from Illinois, um, as well as this year I'm having a group come all the way up from Kentucky. But I want to say New England is probably our heaviest focus of participants. Right. right. Well, I, I live in St. Louis, actually in Illinois, so I know it's quite a distance <laughs> to, oh, to yeah. go up there. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Cool. And, and that's kind of what I figured. Usually you want to stay a little bit closer regionally. Uh, it's easier to get places. But uh, but once they hear about the program, so you may have more from other places. So. Well, and, and the nice thing is, uh, you know, how accessible we are, um, you know, with some of the other high adventure bases that we're familiar with that involves, uh, you know, taking a plane and then from the airport having to get a charter bus or some sort of transportation uh, miles out to the base. You know, we're completely accessible by highway. Um, pretty much everybody who comes to us drives. Um, so we're, we're very accessible. Right. Exactly. Now, are there... I've had, I have had some of the questions in the past, you know, people will look, uh, uh, as far as troops, if there's other, you know, options like regular summer camps near the high adventure base, just out of curiosity, is there, are there any traditional camps within driving distance of, of the main high adventure base? 
Yeah, absolutely. Actually, our uh, our resident camp for Katahdin Area Council uh, is Katahdin Scout Reservation, better known as Roosevelt Scout Camp, uh, is only about a two-hour drive from our base. Um, it's in a small town called Eddington, right outside of the town of Bang- city of Bangor. Sorry, let me correct that. Sometimes it feels like a town, but it is a city. Um, I, I, yeah. I've, been, I've been there. It's, it's a city. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we, we do. We have a resident camp not far at all outside of downtown Bangor. Um, and, you know, we're celebrating our 100 years uh, with Katahdin Scout Reservation this year. Um, it's a beautiful camp. Uh, you know, there's a lot of history there. Just the property is immaculate. It's really beautiful property to hike, as well as the the facilities there are, are top notch, absolutely top notch. Right. Now, where do most of your staff come from? Are they from the Northeast also, or do they come from all over? You know, that's a great question because yeah, you know, we do get a lot of staff uh, from New England. In the past, we've had a whole lot of staff come from Maine. Um, the summer of 2019, most of our staff ended up coming from Baltimore Area Council. Um, I, I think maybe that had something to do with me <laughs> acting as the police director. I, I'm a Baltimore Area Council scouter ah, myself. Okay. So. Okay. All right. That makes right. sense. <laughs> yep. 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 My home is Baltimore Area Council, uh, but I now live in, in Bangor. Um, so most of the staff I had come up this past summer were were Baltimore Area Council staff and, and members who had spent time at Broad Creek Memorial Scout Reservation in the, in the Baltimore Area Council Four Rivers District. Um, sounds but like I, you but, did some good recruiting, so that's good. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, Baltimore Area Council's got, uh, in my opinion, some of, some of the best scouters. Um, but, you know, hey, that, that just means I got to get to see more of the country <laughs> and more of the other councils that are out there. Um, that's right. But I, I want to say, that's yeah, a heavy focus of our staff also come from Massachusetts. We get a lot of staff from Massachusetts, and we do have one staff member coming from uh, California this year. We all know the major high adventure bases around the country, and they offer some awesome programs. Have you been searching for a cool alternative from your typical high adventure trip? As a scout leader, I want to give our scouts some great alternatives. You need to check out highadventurescouting.com. You'll find information on over 30 different council high adventure bases in 24 states. Maybe you're looking for a do-it-yourself option and need some ideas. Maybe you've taken a great trip and you want to share your good fortune with your fellow scouts and scouters. Just send us the details and we'll publish your trip. Whatever your interest, highadventurescouting.com is the one-stop shop for all things high adventure. That's highadventurescouting.com. Now, on these treks, uh, do troops and crews, do they need to bring uh, tents and equipment and things with them? And if so, what, what do you guys provide as a, as a part of the, the fees? Oh, that's, yeah, that's a really good question. So with, um, with our outfitting process, basically, we, we provide tents, we provide food, and we provide all the hard goods necessary for cooking. So you think about your stereotypical Boy Scout four-quart and two-quart pots, mm-hmm. uh, your fire grates. We try to provide as, as much as we can. So realistically, when participants show up here, they have the clothing that they'll need for the week, uh, a mess kit to eat out of, and, and miscellaneous small hard goods like uh, flashlights, pocket knife, uh, fishing rod. We try to provide as, as, much, as, as much of the basic necessities, the tents, the food, and the cooking gear. Okay. <clears throat> now, what what else, uh, you know, what what else do you want to 
kind of talk about? I mean, what as far as the programs, uh, what kind of cool things that have you seen? Uh, uh, you know, what, whatever whatever interests you, because I'm I'm curious more about the program. You know, I think one thing uh, when I went to Philmont in 2012, one of my biggest interests uh, being in that area was the Native American culture. Um, so when you talk about Poblano and Indian writings at Philmont Scout Reservation, that that was absolutely one of my favorite parts. And I think a lot of people forget how heavy the Native American culture is in Maine. Um, most of the property we're traveling is is past native property. There's still a whole lot of history as well as there's a lot of residents here who are Native American. Um, so that's that's one of my favorite features of Maine High Adventure is you really get a good introduction and uh, I don't want to say crash course, but definitely some good interpretation of, of the local and Native American history from here in the past, as well as, um, you know, there's a lot of camps that that highlight certain features of their program. I, I think with Philmon, I definitely got the uh, the cowboys and Indians feel with Seabase. It was, uh, you know, fishing, scuba diving. And Maine High Adventure, we, we really focus on the lumber history. Uh, mm-hmm. So lumberjacks, river driving, um, and a lot of that part of the American history. So I, I, think, I think conceptually, we like to cover some more of that history, uh, the American and Native history. Um, but also, it's just a, it's a very interesting experience to see how so many people in the state of Maine and residents of the state of Maine take advantage of their property and their open recreational properties. Um, like I said, the four million acres that we use is, is open recreational property um, that's owned by about several different landowners. But if you do run into anybody throughout your, your stay at Maine High Adventure, um, typically they're, they're a Maine state resident who are just out fishing or they're out enjoying their family's camp in the woods. Um, so it gives you a different take on uh, just being an outdoorsman or an outdoors woman and how that can be continued even outside of scouting. Now, what's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of circle back on some of the options that troops and crews will will figure out on their own and, and kind of have custom uh, trips for the week. What, what's a, is there a typical option that, that uh, groups will decide, hey, th- we want to do this, this, and this um, uh, during our stay here, or is it all over the map? You know, it's, it's really all over the map. I, I can't say that, uh, you know, when I was chief guide, I ever planned a trip that was exactly like the last one or the one before. It is, it is entirely custom and unique to each group that comes up. Um, I'd say most groups that come typically want a moderate trip. They want a little bit of white water, but not a ton. They definitely want to do some fishing and they absolutely want to see some wildlife. I would say are probably our most common desired uh, program possibilities. Um, but no, no trip is the same as the last one. Awesome. Well, I, I'm, I, I would love to come up there. I, I can't get to all these high adventure bases physically. Uh, there's just not enough time, but uh, it, it sounds like uh, an awesome place. And I, I really appreciate you uh, joining us today and kind of talking a little bit about your programs and, and things that are coming up. Rob, absolutely. Thanks for having me again. Um, I appreciate it. It's always just uh, fun to chat high adventure. <laughs> well, I feel the same way. So. Now, I want to thank uh, Sean McEnany, 
Program and Base Director for Maine High Adventure Base, for joining us today. Now, you can get more information on their programs at mainehighadventure.org. That's mainehighadventure.org. Thanks for joining us today, and remember to tell your friends about this podcast. You can find us online at highadventurescouting.com, on Facebook or Instagram. If you have any questions or ideas for future podcasts, just email us at info at highadventurescouting.com. This podcast and website are independent and not affiliated with any youth organization. Happy High Adventure! This has been a production of High Adventure Resources, 2019. All rights reserved.